Amen. Okay, so uh, 2020 priorities. You've got lots of them. I know I've got lots of them. And as I think through my priorities in 2020, there's just a lot of energy going around in my brain and in my emotions about everything I want to accomplish and great and big things I want to see happen in 2020. Um, I've chosen the book of Mark for us to take a journey through this gospel. And one of the first things that you and I probably both know about the book of Mark is um, Americans like the book of Mark and the gospel of Mark the most of all the gospels. Why would that be so? Well, it's the shortest, right? Um, I'm going to pick on us Americans and Westerners, um, not just left coast San Francisco Westerners, but Western mindset uh, compared with Eastern mindset. We don't really get into um, a, a sort of seek and find and take our time with the learning process. We want it quick. We want it fast. We want to know the bullet points, uh, right? That's me. I think that's you. And um, Mark's gospel flows in that way. It's very quick. Um, it's the shortest of all the gospels. It's only 16 chapters. Uh, you could probably read through its entirety, I think, in about an hour. You would just start reading all the way through. It's quite entertaining. Um, there's lots of things that are happening in this gospel. That's, um, that there's humor. There's action. I mean, Mark is presenting Jesus essentially as an action hero in this gospel. And as we mentioned, it is the, uh, the very fast-paced gospel. The, the word immediately is used, I think, 40 times in this gospel. There's something that's taking place, some little story, some little action, and then Mark will transition and say, and immediately, and then he'll shift gears and some other little vignette or story or action is taking place. Um, some 12 times, just in the very first chapter, the word immediately is used. So I think I've proven the point that we as Americans, we love uh, the Gospel of Mark, perhaps most of all. Um, regarding your 2020 and my 2020 and all that you really want to see happen, it too may be a very fast-paced, what can I get accomplished, um, bunch of monkeys sort of jumping around in a banana tree. Um, I'm quoting Henry Nowen, who writes about these monkeys in a banana tree, where he, he calls our thoughts, he says our thoughts can be like monkeys jumping around in a banana tree. Um, and many of us um, try to deal with the noise of the crazy monkeys just by getting even more and more busy. I'll get more busy, or um, he mentions that uh, we try to avoid unpleasant emotions by, by talking by thinking, by reading, by helping others, and by entertaining ourselves. All of these are mechanisms whereby we're trying to quiet the noise, Henry Nowen is saying, suggesting to us. Um, I asked this morning, how do we quiet the monkeys? How do you find a sense of focus to prioritize in 2020? What is it? And this morning, I want to propose one word. It's called solitude. And the introverts in the room are saying, yay, time alone with just me, myself, and I. Even though that's three of us, it's still just us. And the extroverts in the room are saying, oh, dear God, please, please no solitude. 
Give me more people, give me more action, give me more challenge, give me something new. And both extroverts and introverts are wrong when we think about solitude in that way. So let me define solitude and what I mean by solitude. Solitude and what will truly help silence the monkeys and give us incredible focus and prioritization for 2020 um, is time in silence with you and God. There it is. Solitude means you and God are spending time together. Um, This is what we're going to glean from Mark chapter 1. We're going to take chapter 1 today. And essentially solitude and silence with God is to do nothing. Do nothing. Try to make nothing happen. Um, That already feels a little weird for me. I like to make things happen. Uh, I like to have a to-do list. And so solitude with God, when you think about this, it is getting into that space with God where you're simply just showing up naked, we might say, just as you are, bringing everything into that space with God. If it's depression, you bring it. If it's loneliness, you bring it. If it's need, you bring it. If it's feeling like you've forgotten God altogether, you bring it. If it's doubt, you bring it. If it's excitement, success, whatever, the point is be present with God in that space and be found by God. Be found by God in that solitude. Let God find you there. It's less work than we even imagine. Many of us may have come to Christ or come to become a Christian through a ministry that so focused us on our responsibility to go and spend time with God. Did we have our quiet time today? How many verses did we memorize this week? And what we're going to learn here in um, chapter 1 in in terms of Jesus' rhythm of solitude is that he spent time with God and God found him there. And God will find you there. God will find you there. Let's go ahead and read um, selected verses here in Mark chapter 1. Starts like this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority 
and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out loud, uh, crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And at once, his, Jesus' fame, spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Immediately, 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 you... You notice, I know, how quickly this is already moving here. We're just in the first chapter. Yet, Mark, in writing this gospel, with all of Mark's enthusiasm to show you the action hero that Jesus really is, he's very precise, Mark is, in showing you how often Jesus gets away from the crowds and how often Jesus runs to solitude and time alone with God for his energy. Let me just give you a few of those. Mark chapter 3 says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd of Galilee followed. Onward in chapter 3, Jesus went out into a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. In chapter 6 of Mark, he says, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Onward in Mark chapter 7. When evening came, he was still there. Jesus entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence a secret. Onward in chapter 9, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone, and they prayed. They connected with the Father. Jesus on the cross in Mark chapter 15. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice With all the action-packed stories, Jesus doing this, healing here, teaching there, proclaiming the good news, discipling people, calling people to follow him, there's incredible regularity. Regularity that he's pulling away from the crowds, spending time with the Father. So following Jesus' model of solitude with God includes continual training. 
It's not just a one-time thing. It's not even just a weekly thing of, I'm going to go to church this week. Or, I used to go to church a long time ago. And I've done it, I checked it. Following Jesus is our theme through this whole sermon series of Mark, is a continual, perpetual rhythm and practice for us. One thing we should know uh, as well, when Jesus is, is calling you and I and others in uh, first century there to come follow me, uh, as a rabbi, this would have been a huge honor to, to, to have been invited to, to come and spend time with, with, with the master. Right? I mean, we can pay big dollars to, to sign up for, for, for Barry's boot camp and to, you know, whatever, and, and to get trained. And, to, and I'm in a running club, and I'm running with a guy who's really fast. And, you know, all that's great. But Jesus, as a rabbi, whenever he said, come follow me, he, he's inviting you into his personal space. You got to spend time with him. You got to eat with him. You got to talk with him, ask him questions. Mark, very intentionally in writing this gospel, is wanting the original audience and you and I to know that Jesus is a different king. Most kings would not want you in their private space asking those kind of questions. Most kings would want to shut the curtain, build a wall, do something. We're going to make decisions out here. You see over there, Jesus is inviting you. Come follow me. Be my disciple. Spend time with me. The, uh, the Business Insider, I, I read an article, and then it, uh, recently they were, they were talking about so many business coaches these days are using the old analogy, you probably heard it, of um, you know, a business coach pouring out, uh, pulling out this gallon jar in front of their class and saying, uh, how many large rocks can we fit inside this gallon jar? And so he starts putting one in, two in, three, and maybe gets four large rocks inside this gallon jar. And he asked the class, he asked the young entrepreneurs, is the jar full? And the class replies, yes. And the professor, the business coach says, no, it's not. And um, he, he then pulls out some smaller pebbles. And he starts pouring the pebbles into the jar. And then he asks the class, is it full? And the class starts thinking, I think I see what he's up to. No, they reply. And he says, you're right. He then pulls out some sand, and he fills the jar with sand. Uh, is it full? No. Uh, he then fills it with water. And um, he says, what's, what's the main point of what I just taught you? And uh, they replied with, um, well, you know, if you strategize good enough, you can fit more into the jar. And he says, you've missed the point. You've missed the point completely. You have to put the largest things in the jar first. You have to put the most important things in the jar first. And that's Jesus' lesson to you and to me. The very most important thing for you and I in 2020 is solitude with God. It's silence and solitude with God. It's time alone with God. Those are the big rocks in the jar. That's the priority for you and I for 2020, for today, for tomorrow. Henry Nouwen um, describes how our initial experience in complete quiet and aloneness with God, how it's likely to feel. 
He says, solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is the place of conversion. The place where the old self dies and the new self is born. In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. No friends to talk with. No telephone calls to make. No meetings to attend. No music to entertain. No books to distract. Just me. Vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, nothing. It is this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude. A nothingness so dreadful, he says, that everything in me wants to run to my friends, run to work, run uh, even to my distractions so that I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I am worth something. As soon as I decide to stay in my solitude, Confusing ideas, disturbing images, wild fantasies, and weird associations jump about in my mind like monkeys in a banana tree. Anger and greed begin to show their ugly faces. I give long, hostile speeches to my enemies and dream lustful dreams in which I am wealthy, influential, and very attractive, or poor, ugly, and in need of immediate consolation. Thus, I try to Again, to run from my dark abyss of my nothingness and restore my false self in all this vainglory. The wisdom of the desert, he says, is that the confrontation with our own frightening nothingness forces us to surrender ourselves totally and unconditionally to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what solitude is, is it surrender. Solitude, like come follow me. When we start thinking, what is Jesus? Jesus, what do you mean when you say come follow me? Where? Where are we going? How? Come follow me means yielding. It means surrender. And that's life-giving. And it happens when you and I are alone with God. We need to back up at this moment and just give a brief context here on two characters that we may be talking about for the next 15 weeks as we go through Mark. And the first character is Nero, emperor of Rome. We should talk about him here briefly, and we should also talk about Mark, our gospel writer. Uh, Who was Nero? Well, he's emperor of Rome, and um, he's emperor of Rome at the same time that Mark is writing the gospel of Mark. That's going to be very interesting how that plays out here in just a moment. He's emperor um, for only 14 years. So from A.D. 54 to 68, he's emperor, uh, just those 14 years, and he's, he becomes emperor at age 16. I thought that was interesting. Superlatives that would describe Nero, if you were to do a cursory study of him, you will learn from historians that he murdered his mother, and he murdered his first wife, and historians say that he murdered his second wife. Um... The other thing that you should know about Nero is that in AD 64, there's the great fire of Rome. You probably know about this. There he is. He's playing the fiddle. Um, the, the historians say that the rumor was there in Rome is that Nero himself started the fire. We don't know. But what we do know is that he blamed the fire on uh, Christians. He blamed the fire on Christians. He took advantage of the space that the fire cleared Uh, while he built this lavish, private, new palace for himself. So the fire clears out a nice little space. He builds a private palace, and he builds this very large statue of, guess who? 
of Nero, of himself. Um, how did Nero treat these Christians? We learn um, that he, uh, he had countless Christians tortured. We don't, we don't actually know how many Jews were tortured by Nero or Christians uh, were tortured. We know that um, they were covered with skins of beasts uh, so that dogs could, at- could attack them and tear them into pieces. Um, they were, some of these Christians were nailed to crosses. Uh, some of them were burned as nightly illumination to light up the night sky while others were having dinner. Uh, how did Nero die? Well, he was only 30 years old. And this mounting pressure of the financials to, 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 to rebuild Rome and to, to, to even get this lavish palace built got the best of him and he committed suicide. There's lots more about Nero. Uh, who was Mark? Mark is a Jew. Mark is a Jew, yet he's writing to a Gentile audience. Very specifically, he's writing to a Roman audience. That's why he does it so quickly as he tells this gospel. Romans would want it fast. They would want to know what's the point. Roman readers are like Westerners. Um, he, his, his audience, he's writing to Roman believers, encouraging them to continue to follow Christ amidst persecution, amidst living under the tyranny of Nero. Continue. Stay strong in your faith. Follow Jesus. His audience is also uh, Roman non-believers, confronting Roman non-believers with the true Lord, the true supreme leader, Jesus Christ, and to surrender your lives to King Jesus. Well, let's uh, get back to following Jesus uh, and that it is priority one. And priority one for us is cultivating an awareness of God. Solitude, this silence, it simply means cultivating. Cultivating an awareness with God. Verse 32, I mean, look at it. Look at it with me as it's printed there. The crowds gather. The people are wanting just a piece, a piece of Jesus. Jesus can solve your problem. Jesus can heal you. Let's all go to Jesus. Verse 33, the human need and expectations. Do you see it there in verse 33? The whole city shows up. Some of us may like that sort of attention. Some of us might like being needed so much. Verse 35, though, as the crowds grew in, Jesus didn't panic. Jesus wasn't driven with anxiety. Jesus didn't have an ego problem. Jesus, in verse 35, says that he got up very early in the morning. Why was it so dark? He left the house and he went to a solitary place, a place where it's not chaotic, where he could truly connect with God. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know where that place is. It starts in the heart. We should first of all say that. Following Jesus is in the heart, first of all. Carving out time with God starts in terms of our priorities in the heart, in our soul, regarding what do you truly hunger for? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great writer, uh, believed that solitude was so valuable in helping him listen to God's voice. Does that make even sense when we say that? That solitude is where you and I actually hear God's voice. That's where God speaks to you and me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, wanted to center his mind on God and he practiced it 
at the start of every day and at the end of every day. He writes, We are silent at the beginning of the day because God should have the first word. And we are silent before going to sleep because the last word also belongs to God. Silence is nothing else but waiting for God's word and coming from God's word with a blessing. But everybody knows that this is something that needs to be practiced and learned. I think he's right. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer is exactly right that our training, this is training. This takes time to practice. Verse 17, here in our text, he says, come. Jesus, imagine Jesus walking alongside the village and by the sea there, and he sees and he calls and he says, come. So real quickly, uh, come simply means to leave something. It means to leave something. There are things for you in 2020, and I know for myself, I just need to leave. I just sort of need to be done with that. And there's a very, um, very clear thing about solitude with God and getting time alone with God requires and invites us to come. It's an invitation to come. Look at verse 18, what the fishermen did whenever Jesus gave out that invitation. You would have guessed it. It says immediately. Immediately, they dropped their nets. They drop their nets and they, and they follow. Jesus, and hold on. Jesus is not asking you to stop your profession, by the way. Jesus is inviting you to prioritize what the large rocks are in your life. Jesus is saying that he is the rock. He is the primary rock that should be in your jar. And how your life and your year and your passions should be ordered. Follow me. What does this even mean? It means to trust. It means to believe actively trusting Jesus with every area of your life for this upcoming year. Following Jesus is yielding to Christ as Lord. Look at verse 14. The very first words we hear from the lips of Jesus. He proclaims the good news, the gospel. What is he doing there? He's inviting his Roman readers to pledge glad allegiance to King Jesus. That's the good news. That's the good news that you and I are waking up with and enjoying each new day is who's my leader? King Jesus. Who am I following? Jesus. Who can I trust and bank it all on? Who's competent to know my future? Jesus. Following Jesus uh, is also repenting of sin continually. Verse 15. He talks about the kingdom of God is near. Basically, the kingdom of God is near means I am God. I, I am God's presence with you. I am Emmanuel, God with you. I'm ushering in his kingdom. A new citizenship. Therefore, since that's true, he says repent and believe the gospel. Let's mention one other um, benefit here of cultivating time alone with God in silence and solitude. The more that that takes place in your life and in my life, God begins to give you and I love for people. It's almost amazing how that happens. Look at the text and we'll see how it happens. When you spend time with God, 
you begin to care about the things that God cares about. Makes sense, right? When you spend time with God, you become more like Jesus. Jesus is beginning to transform you and I into his very image. Verse 16, here's the point. Look at it. It says, Jesus saw. Jesus saw the fisherman. See, as Jesus' rhythm was to spend time with the Father, he loved people all the more. He knew their stories. He saw them. This should be ringing bells in your ears right now about Matthew's gospel, where Matthew in chapter 9 says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 17, Jesus has other people in mind when calling us to follow him. He says, I will make you become fishers of other people. Not in a, oh no, let's get nervous and building the kingdom and growing the church and how many people and it's all up to me. No, that's not what Mark is presenting. That's not what Jesus is presenting. Jesus says, come follow me. And I will do that. That's my responsibility. I will build the kingdom. Verse 40, here's another glimpse into how Jesus loved people and how spending time with God affected the way that he loved people. Verse 40, Jesus approached by a leper. And by the way, leper is someone with leprosy and this is someone you didn't want to touch. This is someone you didn't want to get close to. You might get it. Uh, This could perhaps be our homelessness here in San Francisco. Right? We've all had an experience there. Some of us are driven to judge a, judge a judgmental heart towards homelessness. Some of us are driven to tears or overwhelmment about what can we even do to help. All sorts of emotions and stories that we may have. But look how Jesus is approached by this leper. What is he going to do? The story's building and its interest. The leper's there. And what will Jesus do? Will Jesus be like other kings? And say, you deserved it. You lived a bad life in your previous life, and now you're only reaping the rewards or the suffering that you deserve. No, no. Jesus Jesus responds to the leper. Remember the leper's question. He says, are you willing? He doesn't say, are you able? The leper knows that Jesus has power to heal him. But he says, are you willing? Could it be so? And Jesus uh, replies in verse 41, I, I am willing. I am willing. I love you. Jesus touches the untouchable. Jesus would have shocked everyone around him at that time. See, love, Jesus' love is basically tenderness. It's basically tenderness. And tenderness, tenderness is the capacity to be hurt. When you and I are choosing to get up close to someone who needs love, and that's everyone, by the way. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Everyone. It's placing yourself in a vulnerable position that you might get hurt. This is what Jesus' love and tenderness was doing, a capacity that moved him to compassion and to action. 
Now, not you and I rushing around trying to help everybody that we meet and come into contact with. It's impossible, and nor is that God's calling for us. But the more solitude and time alone with God you and I are getting and taking advantage of and being blessed by, the more we hear God's voice to know when, when to engage in that moment, who to get close to, who to help. So in conclusion, let's train with Jesus this year. Let's train with Jesus this year. Jesus, the rabbi, you and I would have wanted if we were in first century. We would have, we, we would have wanted Jesus to, to call you by name and to say, come follow me. You would have dropped everything. It would have been so clear, Jesus' competency, Jesus' authority, Jesus outshined every other leader. Jesus knew everything about you. The same call goes to you, though, and me. Come follow me, Jesus says. Let this year be a year of training. Let it be a year of um, us asking ourselves, uh, what specific way, Jesus, are you calling me to follow you in 2020? Maybe make that one of your first journal entries this week. Following Jesus in 2020. How are you asking me to follow you, King Jesus? What does that mean? Another reflection question for you and I in that solitude time or meditation time may be, what other good news am I believing instead of this good news? What keeps me from believing? this good news. What keeps me from following you, King Jesus? And here we are, some of us starting your academic career. Here we are, some of us having had a bad, awful, painful 2019 and needing a fresh new start. Here we are, all of us, stuffing the jar full of rocks, pebbles, sand, and water. Every one of us. The question is, how we prioritize solitude, time alone with Jesus. Priority one, let the words the Father spoke of Jesus, it's right here in verse 11, check it out. Let these words that shaped Jesus' identity, God wants those same words to shape your identity and my identity. So priority one would be for us to look at verse 11 that says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased, God says. And so as we close in prayer, I, I want us to meditate on these words that God gives Jesus there and are applicable to you too. I want us, I want us to meditate on those. And as we pray, I'm, I'm simply going to read these words back to, to us. And then we'll just sit in a moment of silence. And, and, and like a river... I like water. Let, let those words just wash right over us <clears throat> as they sink into your whole being. You are my beloved child, and I am delighted with you. You are my beloved daughter, and I am enthralled with you. You are my beloved son, and I am so proud of you. 
Father, as we try to take in these words, this truth about our own identity, that what you think about us matters most. And, and the love relationship that you invite us into matters most. Oh, Father, protect us from placing things in the jar that are just piddly and meaningless. Train us, teach us, call us again and again to come. And might we follow you? Might we drop our nets and follow you? And might we, in the hurried pace of life and our own rhythms with family and work and dreams or singleness and, and whatever lives we all live, might we find solitude with you so that we can truly find ourselves and find you, a God who loves us. Make that so. Make that so today and in 2020. We pray in Jesus' name.